I'm Darian Slayton Fleming, and thank you for joining me on Get What You Need and Feel Good About It. Do you find it difficult to ask for what you need? Do you frequently feel misunderstood? Do you have a problem or cause that you would like to learn to manage more effectively? What makes it so hard for us to tell each other how we feel? And how do we speak up for ourselves so we get what we need and feel good about it? How do we do this respectfully so that we honor the needs and feelings of others? Together, we'll explore tips, strategies, and resources that when used mindfully and consistently will improve our results and enrich our relationships. Hello and welcome back to Get What You Need and Feel Good About It. I'm Darian Slayton Fleming and this is episode number three entitled Determine to Be Determined. And today I want to go back and review the first of the three keys that John Fleming shared in episode number one that he used for overcoming barriers that seemed insurmountable. John's first key was to be determined. So I wanted to define determination for us. And the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines determination as the act of coming to a decision. But I like the definition that I found in the Collins Dictionary even better for our purposes. It defines determination as the quality that you show when you have decided to do something and you will not let anything stop you. So then I looked at some synonyms that are packed full of meaning and tie in to what I think it means to be determined. And the first synonym is be intentional. And we talked about being intentional in episode number two when we talked about mindfulness, because I believe it's important to do things deliberately or on purpose or intentionally in order to have a roadmap to follow so that we can be happy with our end goal. Other synonyms include intent, purposeful, resolute, resolved, courage, decided, willpower, strength of will, persevere, persistent, and tenacious. So let's talk about courage just for a moment. I believe that courage is not about not being afraid, but what it is about is being willing to take a risk and be brave. And finally, persistence. Sometimes we have to try multiple times before we get our end result. And we need to be okay with being persistent. 
You can read more about that in my book called Speak Up For... You can read more about being persistent in my book called Speak Up For Yourself. Get what you need and feel good about it. You can find it on Amazon, in paperback format, and in Kindle. See the show notes about how you can order my book. And now I would like to introduce our guest speaker for today's podcast. Her name is Mona Huntley, and Mona lives in Grants Pass, Oregon. And she moved to Grants Pass, Oregon when she was 41 years old. And she moved there with her husband, Frank. And at that time, Frank was recovering from an industrial accident and could not stand for long periods of time. He was in a lot of pain. Mona and her husband started a mobile dog grooming business. And about three years into it, Mona was diagnosed with age-related macular degeneration. And although her fallback occupation was art printing, I'm sure that became a challenge as she experienced her sight loss and then began to explore, what am I going to do now that I'm losing my sight? And she found the Hadley Institute for the Blind and took as many courses as she could to learn life skills as a person with sight loss and how to become as independent as she wanted to be. And I like this line that she submitted with her bio, because as you can imagine, it's pretty scary losing your sight. And Mona says that her fear became her determination. And so today's topic, as you know, is determined to be determined. And I invited Mona to come and talk with us about what determination means to her. So welcome, Mona. Thank you for joining us. And what does determination mean to you? Okay, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, Yeah, and just listening to your intro there, where fear became determination for me with the specifics to my sight loss and and the diagnosis. Actually, at that point, it was the diagnosis of sight loss. Uh, at this point, I am the sole provider for my little family of two and a couple dogs. And there was no expectation that my husband would ever be able to work again. He was 98% disabled. And even if he could work, who's going to hire somebody with that kind of a disability record? I'm thinking we've just started this business that is totally dependent on eye-hand coordination. That's what dog grooming is. It's an art form 
depending on eye-hand coordination with animals that are not going to stand still. And I thought, ah, what am I going to do here? Uh, he can't go get a job. I've got to support us. So I was determined to develop the skills and an alternate way of making a living so that if we had to get rid of the business, I would be able to support us. So that's that's where that that underlying fear just made me say, ah, I can't avoid this. I have to do it. So that's that's where that got started. Wow. Some people are anxiety avoiders and some people are anxiety approachers. And people who are anxiety avoiders end up not only then being anxious about whatever dilemma they're facing, but then they become, become anxious about procrastinating and 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 avoiding and that just creates more anxiety so you were an anxiety approacher i didn't see an alternative ah right i mean yeah eating eating regular is nice and my husband couldn't work Mm -hmm. so what are you going to do right and so tell us about a time when you weren't so sure you could do what you had set out to do. Oh, how about the first five years that we started the business? So <laughs> did you want to give up? And what kept you going? What Was there fear? Was there anxiety? How did you overcome that? Okay, one big thing that kept me going with the business, with me just not giving up and curling up into a hole, was that I got information. When I first got that diagnosis, I was terrified. Practitioner who gave us the information uh, was uh, an optometrist. And what I was told was, well, there's something going on here in the back of your eyes, and you're going to be blind probably in the next five to seven years. Okay, this isn't going to work. But I didn't, I was so terrified of the possibility that I didn't even know how to think about it. My father, at this point, was completely without independence of the ability to handle any of his own affairs from the same disease. And I had seen my grandfather, my grandmother, both become very, very helpless from it. And I just, you know, he says five to seven years. At that point, I'm, what, 46, 47 and completely without any other way of making a living that I knew of. So first thing we did was go up to the KCI Institute and find out what the problem really was and what the diagnosis really is. I believe absence of knowledge infects fear. Uh, you, you just, you've got to know what you're dealing with before you know, even can start to think about where to go. So we did that, and and they said, well, yes, this is going to cost you your central vision eventually. It could be five or six years, or it could be 25 years. Turned out to be 27 years. At that time, I felt, okay, I don't have to make a change today. I have time. And I put that time to use by going to Hadley 
uh, by learning by learning Braille, uh, by learning abacus, uh, by exploring different means of making at least some sort of income. And knowledge ran the fear away and allowed me to take a deep breath and let the determination kick in and go to work at developing surviving skills. You mentioned a phrase that we talked about in my previous episode of this podcast in episode two about mindfulness, where we talked about breathing, uh, relaxation breathing. And you said that you took a deep breath and you determined to acquire the skills that you needed. And so it occurred to me that, you know, by taking that breath, you were able to essentially kind of slow down the process and figure out how to put it into perspective. And when we slow down our process, we actually slow down our nervous system. If, you know, when we start to get triggered, if we slow our speech down and we walk a little slower, we take that breath, it gives us mental space to organize our thoughts. And what you found out was by gathering information, knowledge helped you overcome that fear because now you had information and tools to work with. So one of your first steps was to step back and ask yourself, what's my next step? So how did you find Hadley? Actually, the uh, I believe it was the second eye doctor that I went to who was an ophthalmologist, gave me a card uh, for the uh, Commission for the Blind. And I called them, and they suggested that I go to my local JC and see if they had any kind of classes, adaptive classes, for uh, people with handicaps. So we did that. We just had, had no idea. We just walked, walked in. And the people at the admissions desk sent me down the hall to a room, and they had um, a screen reader that they could they showed me, you know, what what it was and how it works. And one of the things they suggested was that I contact Hadley and uh, start taking some courses from them. So that was that actually came from my local JC, uh, which was um, amazing because at this point they no longer even have that. That option, they don't even have a uh, anybody you can go talk to. Uh, but that that's that's where I got Hadley's connection, and that I think I probably started taking courses from them. in, sorry, eighty six or seven, mm-hmm. and and I still do. I I still take the occasional uh, seminar with them. So let's just define a couple of terms here. When you say JC, I'm pretty sure that means junior college. Yes. Okay, and so um, quite often community colleges do, and all colleges and universities usually have a disabled student service office 
And if you are new to vision loss, that can be one of your resources, um, even if you're not a student, especially if they have, if you can find out if they have an adaptive uh, equipment lab. Can you tell Mona, can you tell people what the Hadley Institute is actually, and you mentioned courses. Can you explain how that works for anybody okay, yeah. who might be needing that resource? Sure. The uh, Hadley Institute uh, for the Blind and Low Vision, which is their current uh, denomination, started about 75 years ago, and they uh, have at-home learning situations. Uh, some of it, when I was starting, it was strictly you call, you'd get a course, they would send you the the course matter uh, in Braille or large print, whichever you wanted, to your house, and then you'd have an instructor you could call and talk to. Uh, now, most of their uh, curriculum is online in seminars and uh, podcasts and YouTube things, uh, but it's just Hadley, H-A-D-L-E-Y dot E-D-U, and all of the information is right up front in huge print, or there's a phone number. It's all free, and it all comes directly to the student. There's no hassle, no in-between, and there's always a live person to talk to. And, the, and so they're like correspondence courses, but now they've evolved into discussion groups and online uh, teaching activities. Uh, they also have a great many of courses uh, for parents uh, whose children are blind or who are going to be, uh, for caretakers, for people who work with the blind. Right, and that reminds me of another comment that I wanted to make, and that is, in this podcast, I do focus a lot on connections with people who I know who have sight loss, but a lot of the tools and attitudes that we will be talking about in this podcast are, are attitudes and skills that any of us can learn, whether we have a disability or not. So Mona, can you tell us a about a time when you were determined to do something, but others discouraged you. And what was that like? And how did you handle that? That was one of the first and only times that I have actually gotten depressed. Um, and this was, this was, I reached the point where I was legally blind. I'd given up my driver's license. Um, we live on an acre here and, uh, all of the work has been something my husband and I just did together. And he did not want me out there doing the work, uh, helping with the cleanup, loading stuff up, basically because he was afraid I was going to get hurt. He was just being protective. Um, and, and, of course, by this time, I had managed to jump a motorcycle and come off a couple horses and gotten injured my back. Uh, so he, he he was being realistic. He was not wanting me to get hurt. He was being protective. 
but I felt that I could do this and I wanted to do it. I wanted to be out there helping. And I simply got told to go back to the house because he didn't want me getting hurt. And um, I did not do well, honestly. I, I went back inside and I sat there and I whined and I whimpered and I um, got real weepy. And I spent probably the better part of a year feeling hurt. Oh yeah, that's that that, and that was one of the very few times in my life that um, my sight loss uh, and the other things that happened with advancing age got me down. And so, how did you overcome that? What brought you out of that depression? I got mad. Oh, <laughs> I just flat got mad. I said, "You can't let me," you know. I and and I I explained to him, look. I have to get out of the chair. I'm not going to get better physically by just sitting. I need to do as much as I can do. If I get to the point where I can't do something, I'll ask for help or I'll quit. But and and that was that was the second hardest thing that I had to learn. I had to learn to ask for help. And right. and that that would that all came out of that situation. Uh, he wanted to help. He wanted to, but I had to learn because I had been the major provider. I had been making all the decisions. I had been the one who took care of everything and having to learn to say, I can't do this. I need help was the hardest thing for me to do. But then it set me free. Once I did that, then yeah, okay. So that's a topic that we are that's going to come up again and again in this podcast. We will be talking about John Fleming's third key that we talked about in episode number one is ask for help from friends. So we'll be coming back to this, but how did you ask for help? I heard you say that you said, I can't get better just sitting in my chair. So when you asked for help, did he, did you have to argue him around to your position or how did I won't that say, work? I won't say I had to argue my way. I kind of whined, whimpered and cried my way. I, I, I finally said, look, at, I just feel horrible. This is making me feel worse and worse. I have to get out there and do what I can do. If I don't, my muscles are going to get bad. I'm going to get weaker by the day. I said, my eyesight's never going to get any better. I mean, it's a progressive degenerative disease. Yeah, this is not going to get better. But I don't have to get physically weaker by the day, and I'm going to if I don't get out and do things. Uh, so, yeah, and I was, I was... By, by the time I got to the point of talking to him about it, um, yeah, I went to pieces and cried and probably made him feel guilty, but it worked. Well, so that leads us to a logical next question, which is, can you tell us about a success story when you overcame that that fear and you became determined? And how did you do that and how did you celebrate that success 
Mm, okay. Probably the first thing that uh, I, because I, I was so afraid of not being able to make a living uh, by not being able to work with the animals, I decided to start writing. And of course, you start writing, and what you start doing is getting rejection slips. And I got very afraid that I would not be able to do this. I, in the process, I had to learn how to work with the screen reader because by this time I was not able to just work with my computer. And uh, I finally decided that what I needed to start with was some magazine articles. And uh, I, I just kept at it until finally one of the um, editors sent me a check instead of a rejection slip. And yeah, they talk about wanting to celebrate. This was pretty heady stuff. I think it was 25 bucks. But, <laughs> but it was being published. It was breaking through that months of getting rejection slips. Mm -hmm. And and from there, then more magazines started picking my stuff up. And one of the local um, publishers of a senior magazine asked if I would write a monthly column. Hmm. And so I there again, I didn't know if I could do it. I was a little bit afraid of being able to keep up 800 words a month on a single topic and keep it fresh. And uh, that article ran for 20 years and got picked up by one of the syndications that uh, sent stuff out to other senior newsletters. And it was just, it turned out to be just real fun. Do you remember what that first article was that got accepted? The very first article about it was it and it went to a magazine called Groom and Board. And they special, it's just a specialty magazine that goes to dog groomers and people who operate kennels and that sort of thing. And it was just on how to handle um, clients that don't understand the true situation with their animal. Hmm. That's really cool, Mona. So do you have any parting words then for our listeners about how we can remain determined and focused so that we can pursue our dreams and get what we need and feel good about it. Okay, first I'm going to say pick your battles. We all have lots of dreams. Some of them are more realistic than others. I am not going to renew my pilot's license. Doesn't matter <laughs> how much I dream about it, that ain't going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say uh, pick your battles. Don't, don't ever give up a dream. Don't ever give up on the things that you really want to do. But on the day-by-day, -day, pick those things that, and, and I divide them into immediate goals and long-term goals. I can be determined to make sure that the uh, website I manage, I'm webmaster for my church. I can be determined that that is going to be updated every single week and it's going to be correct. Long-term goals, am I going to go back to writing that book? Yeah, I'd kind of like to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's a long-term thing and it's something I can work at a little bit at a time. So uh, pick your battles. Uh, try to always have something working that you can succeed at it and then celebrate your success. 
And don't hesitate to ask for people. Just being determined to do something doesn't mean you have to do it by yourself. Get help. Ask for help. Let other people become involved in your dreams. And then everybody can have more joy. That's such a fitting comment and a fitting into this part of our podcast. So don't give up on your dreams. Find ways to reach out for help and keep doing what you want to do by finding information that will help you figure out how to overcome those barriers. And so I want to thank Mona for joining me today on this episode of Get What You Need and Feel Good About It. And I'm determined that we will have more episodes like this. And I want to end this episode with a quote from Mary Morrissey's Brave Institute Thinking Dream Builder Workshops. And the quote goes like this. Go for the dream. Face the storm. Do it afraid. Stay the course. Go for the dream. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next month. Hope not pay. Will surely triumph in the end. Hope not hate when each stranger is a new. Thank you for joining me today on Get What You Need and Feel Good About It. Remember, when you speak up for yourself assertively, you will get what you need and feel good about it. You will also be showing respect for yourself and for the other people in your life who are important to you. Until next time, try thinking about it like Stephanie Lahart says it. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Yes, the only way to do